Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross Sapp here for the Fightful.com Shane Helms podcast. I'm joined by this dude. Might know him as Shane. Might know him as Gregory. Might know him as Hurricane. Might know him as Kid Vicious. I hope you don't know him as Kid Vicious and not the other things. That would be kind of weird. You ever had anybody come up to the street or up to you on the street and go, hey, I remember you. You're Kid Vicious. <laughs> uh, no, just people in the biz. I don't know. It takes a real diehard fan to pull that one out. There's another kid vicious though that uh was on the indie scene, uh, I think from California. And uh, he claims that he uh, you know, uh, didn't get it from me, which is uh, entirely possible. But yeah, there's another one out there. First and foremost though, just as I've done the last couple of weeks, we got to acknowledge the shirt this week. Oh Bob wow. Ross. Bob Ross. And if you're wearing Bob Ross shirt, happy little clouds. That's how it's gonna be today. Happy little clouds all day. Another great Ross in the world's history. Now, before we get into our topic, which is the original brand extension, you had a busy weekend, didn't you? I don't know. What did I do? I know watching, uh, I watched a lot of MMA, and not all of it was good. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that. I know we, we dabble in MMA uh, with our conversations. Uh, that main event of uh, Bellator was lackluster, which might be an assault to the word lackluster. Um, yes. And uh, what was, and then. Uh, well, I picked I picked Juliana Pena to actually. Oh, you uh, bad? Yeah, you bad. She's a, she's a, she's always been really good. She's been out like you know. I mean, I tweeted about it a little bit how Valentino was more skilled and all that, but Pena has in the past always just found a way. One of those people, and when you got heart and you're scrappy like that, you know, it's, I didn't what nothing. I put money on now. I didn't put money on it, but I, I picked her for fun. Um, I, I won five out of the seven that I picked. Uh, but one of them, got to just be honest, I picked because it was the wrong guy. Oh, <laughs> uh, who was it? Uh, it was Lima. Uh, it was the guy last name was Lima, but I thought oh, he was yeah. another Lima. And so <laughs> I picked him just for that reason. I wonder if that's the, the guy that – there. there's a couple of sets of guys in the UFC where there are two people with the same name. I know Dong Hyun Kim is one of them, and I think there's a heavyweight that has the same name as like a welterweight. 
Uh, Donald Cerrone also lost. I don't know what's been up with him. He, he's been fighting off of his back foot lately, which is weird. Um, he's one of those guys, you know, too, it's hard to – he fights so much. You know, it's going to be – he's going to have a bad game every now and then. And, uh, sure. And that one's really bad. He's a notoriously sh- slow starter, and Jorge uh, didn't give him any chance to really uh, – Get get into the fight. He started whipping out the jab pretty quick. I know I was texting with my buddies, uh, you know, Conan and Disco and stuff, and I'm like, look, his nose is already, you know, it's already red, like a minute into the fight because Jorge done popped him yep. in the face a couple times. I still thought Cerrone could have won that fight. That wasn't a bad fight, but that just wasn't his night. Yeah, getting dropped is not any sort of indication that he's going to lose a fight because he gets dropped in the first round of like every fight that he has. It seems. Um, also, I mean, you crowned Omega Tag Champions, correct? Uh, my friend Christy Party told me that you all did a little bit of a callback to the TNA final deletion, or yeah, the the total nonstop deletion, as she was. Oh, what the hell was her name in that segment? She was the reporter. Yeah, she was the reporter in that segment, yeah. and uh, she was a uh, ring announcer on that show. So, uh, yeah, it's something that uh, you'll be seeing on TNA uh, television going forward. Uh, and you get to see the very beautiful Omega Tag Team titles. You nice. know, I got a, uh, I got a weird mindset when it comes to titles. I think they should look awesome. You know, yeah, I don't want just too. the company logo on the title, and that's all you see. And you know exactly which titles mm-hmm. I'm referring to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I harken back to the days when I used to see Ric Flair's big gold belt, and even before that, Nick Bockwinkel's AWA belt. Like, uh, you know, because we got these guys out here fighting for these championships. So if you see the championship and it looks like shit, to me it's like, eh, why are they fighting for that? You know? <laughs> I remember that old NWA US title, man. That's one that Love that like, one. Love that one. Favorites. So, yeah, so I want the Omega belts to be, like, you know, extraordinary, and, and they were. They they are. The heavyweight title's awesome. The tag titles are very cool. Uh, there's, they're kind of – they're paying homage to the ones we had back in the day, which were, like, a big yin and yang sign. Oh, nice. Uh, you know, back when uh, any company, you couldn't afford no good belts back in those days, but they did what we could, what we could, and uh, they look pretty cool. So this is kind of a, an homage to them, but they look pretty impressive. I'll make sure I put up some images pretty soon so everybody gets to see them. So today we're talking about the original WWF, WWE brand split. WWE did a new one last year. We'll talk a little bit about that as well. You are one of a plethora of WCW talents that came in. This has to be an answer to them ending the WCW project, right? They've got this this roster, all these people on it. You can't just have one show, I guess. Uh, they thought maybe they could make more stars. That That's the line we were given, at least, uh, as fans. What did you think when you heard brand split? Was it like, well, it's because of all these WCW and ECW talents? Oh, without a doubt, you know, I don't really think that's uh, that big of a mystery uh, in this day and time. It was uh, the WCW experiment didn't go quite uh, as it was planned or as it was hoped to, uh, at least. And so now you got just like a ton of guys on the show and a ton of like really talented guys, too. So you don't want to let them go. Um, And the idea, you know, behind the whole WCW thing was to create your own competition, was for Vince to have his own competition. So this was just an extension of that exact same mindset. So uh, instead of WCW and WWF, now we're going to have Raw and SmackDown. And uh, a lot of us looked at it as a golden opportunity, you know, because um, more television time for uh, guys to get a chance and opportunity. So we we all, pretty much everybody was uh, pretty happy about it. 
And, and you look at what it did for several guys. It's hard to believe that people like even JBL would be a world champion and have the legacy that he does if it were just one brand. Uh, Jack Swagger, hard to believe he would be a world champion had he not had that opportunity. Rey Mysterio even, I'm sure he could have accomplished that, but having two brands really gave them the opportunity to do it. Worth noting, in addition to having the WCW and the WWE talents, they had a crop of OVW talents they were really high on. Brock Lesnar, Batista, Randy Orton, Charlie Haas, Shelton Benjamin, Rico Constantino, they, they thought was going to be something. Um, so this is a truly maybe one of the biggest influx, probably the biggest influx of a roster ever to hit the WWE. What or how far ahead did you find out about the brand split personally? Uh, I mean, I think whenever the offer started talking about it to different people, you know, when it was just, I don't remember a specific moment, but uh, none of us knew where we were going. If, if, if that's the, where this question is probably leading, uh, none, none of us knew where we were going. That draft was a pretty, especially that first one was a total shoot for us. So <laughs> we were just kind of chilling, uh, hoping for the best. And uh, like I say, it was a very optimistic time. And, you know, uh, a lot of people were excited about it. You say optimistic. Now, I mean, obviously, there are dozens of personalities in that locker room. Was there a sense of you guys need to tell us where the fuck we're going before, or was it let's just wait and see? Uh, I mean, it probably was somebody like that, some people like that that want to know everything. But uh, I don't remember myself ever being concerned about it. You know, I mean, it was a t- it was a television show, and I wanted to be on one. You know, we got one or two options, so I really didn't care which one I was on. As long as I was on one of them, I mean, if uh, if you want to grill me about it, uh, SmackDown probably later. That's what we're doing here. So it was this we're grilling, yeah. Let's <laughs> grill this. Um, in later years, SmackDown became uh, the place of bigger opportunities. Uh, you know, Raw was very political. Certain people that were there and in positions were just very political to deal with. So uh, SmackDown became that became the wrestling show too, where you would see. Uh, uh, it just became the better show in the majority of the time of, of the brand split. So uh, SmackDown was where a lot of guys wanted to go, but at the same time, a lot of guys liked Raw because that was Vince's baby and it was still the flagship show. And still, and it always got a little bit more attention when it came to promotion and stuff like that. So there were different reasons to be on your show. Now, what were you told about the brand split? Was it framed in the same way that it was framed to the fans? Like, we have all this talent. We want to create competition. We want to do this. Was it framed the same way to you guys? You're muted. How about now? Nice. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was framed to us the exact same way, uh, that it was an opportunity for a lot of different talents to get exposure. Um that it's going to be 100% completely separate shows. We're not going to be jumping back and forth. If you own one show, you're not going to be on the other one. And so, uh, I mean, that's exactly how it was presented to us. Now, you said you didn't care which brand you were on. Was there one that you looked at and be like, and were like, well, that would be more convenient for me, whether it be because of travel, because of relationships, because of family, anything of that sort? No, the travel schedules were the same. Um, you know, I, I think uh, – so Monday Night Raw, you would you would do house show on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then you would do Raw. On uh, for the SmackDown uh, brand, you would do a house show on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then do SmackDown. So it was just a one day shift in travel, but you're still working four nights a week, assuming you own everything. So the amount on the, the amount of time on the road at home was was basically the same. 
I'll jump ahead a little bit. Uh, you talk about SmackDown doing house shows Monday. They do that now. What were the houses like on Mondays when a lot of those fans can sit in a Raw? Uh, I think Monday was generally the lighter, the lighter ones of the show. And um, I don't know if you can see this, but your video is going crazy. Yeah, I can I can see that now. Yeah, don't worry, I'll I'll fix it. <laughs> I'm about to have a damn epileptic seizure. I think I had a seizure pronouncing that word. It glitched um, out a little bit. But uh I think Monday was generally the lighter of the show, uh attendance wise. You know, probably uh Monday Night Raw being on has something to do with that, but also just because it's Monday night, you know, kids got school, that sort of thing. So uh Monday was a little bit uh, of of the lighter one. So this draft happens. You don't know what's going to happen. You weren't selected on TV, but there were a lot of big names that also weren't. There's DDP, Raven, Chris Jericho, Matt Hardy, Jeff Hardy, Taz, Christian, not selected on TV. Did that affect you at all mentally? Not mentally. I didn't expect it. You know, so It was one of those deals where you know they're going to highlight the guys that are already the top guys. So um, when, when I write – and when I try to write segments and stuff like that, I try to make sure nobody is that you don't highlight that you don't like somebody. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what would happen sometimes with those drafts. You know, the guys that were getting drafted on TV, these are the guys we care about. Everybody else can go fuck themselves. Yeah, That's kind of how it would come off. And it would come off like that to fans. So um, it would have been better if they would have been found a more creative way to do that. But uh, at the same time, I really didn't expect to be one of the guys on TV. Uh, I mean, to do the, you know, whatever the main draft, but it wasn't like nothing that hurt my feelings or anything. You know, I was, I was fine with my positioning on the card. Uh, I mean, not, not that I ever settled for anything, but just at that particular time, it was what it was. So, you know, I think we actually found out online because we still yes. didn't know even when we left the building, it was done. That was, my, that, next right? yeah, it was, that was my next only. question. It was after 20 picks, it was done via a lottery draft on yeah. WDB.com. So are you all like, or you or anybody like crammed around the computer, like what's going on? I think here? No, I think we were driving to the next town. And uh, it's when, so, it when I found that I was in a car. So you hear about all these. And one of the picks that, that really interested me Tajiri, the cruiserweight champion also wasn't selected on TV, but was on the lottery portion. Mm-hmm. He was sent to SmackDown. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts going through your mind when that cruiserweight title goes to SmackDown because you haven't been gotten the news that you're going to Raw yet? Uh, I think initially I thought that I might go to SmackDown because of that, but I still wasn't certain. You know, a lot of my uh, because I was you know the biggest cruiserweight there, I would still work with a lot of the heavyweights anyway. And I mean, I was right on that line, you know, uh, of, of being a heavyweight myself. Damn sure heavyweight right now. So, uh, but but I think it did lead me to think, at that particular point in time, that I that I might be going to SmackDown. But um, you know, like I said, fast forward an hour later, or whatever, I'm on Raw, and I, I wasn't surprised by that either. You know, uh, Brian Goritz was the head writer of Raw, and he's the guy that helped me a lot with the Hurricane stuff. So I wasn't surprised that um, that's where I that's where I stayed. So almost immediately after, you're on Raw. Mm-hmm. How how did this affect you mentally? Uh, like I said, this has got to be a roller coaster of emotions. Anyway, you know you've got the future of your career in the hands of an online draft lottery, which obviously was predetermined. But 
you are a cruiserweight. You're one of the bigger cruiserweights, but you're on Raw, and you're on Raw with some big names. Uh, how did you feel about this? Your character's pretty over at this point already. Uh, mm-hmm. Not not nearly to the level it's about to be, but did this make you optimistic, worried, neither? How did this – what was your mental state like? It was opportunity. I was I was pretty jacked about it. You know, I mean, um, we just cut down the amount of people I had to compete with by half, you know, on the show. And that's what you're competing with. You're competing for TV time. And, ha- and half of them assholes are gone. So I ain't got to worry about them no more. And because uh, a lot of the cruiser uh, weights went to SmackDown, you know, I, I kind of can play the David and Goliath role almost, you know, exclusively myself. So it was, it was you know, opportunities galore for me. Did you know of anybody that was just absolutely livid at where they went? Uh, nothing comes to mind. I was trying to think about that. Like some of the, we did so many of those drafts and I would remember hearing different things throughout the years uh, when people would get upset. But that first one, I don't, I don't recall anybody being super upset. It, it just seemed like it was a real, the first one more so than the ones that uh, came after it was a lot of optimism uh, in that first one. Yeah. I remember Jim Ross wasn't too pleased when he found out on the air that he'd be going to SmackDown and understandably so a guy who's, been in the business that long and was that did that happen in the first one no it didn't it happened in yeah, a later yeah, yeah, one yeah. like like towards 2008 yeah. ish i think but i remember yeah. he was visibly like what the fuck's going on guys <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. and he's no, a dry that. dude anyway if if any of our, our viewers have ever watched him like an interview with him you can never tell if he's making a joke or or like pissy or sarcastic sometimes yeah yeah oh man um there's no draft in 2003 they brought it back in 2004. Are you guys told at any point, like, hey, this is going to be a possibility. We're going to freshen things up. Well, definitely the freshening things up was the part of the reason they did it. That's 100% a part of the reason they did it. You know, uh, I mean, keep in mind that pro wrestling is, you know, the longest episodic television show in damn history, especially uh, as far as you know, being a serialized uh, uh, thing. So you got to constantly do things to keep people interested and buzzing. And uh, this was, that was just something to freshen it up. So 100%, that was what it was all about. So let's talk about (laughs) this 2004 draft. Because it was an interesting one. I remember like it was yesterday. Rene Dupree, Mark Jendrak, Rob Van Dam, Teddy Long, Spike Dudley, and Triple H are drafted to SmackDown. Now, Teddy Long would obviously go on to have a major impact on SmackDown. He was the general manager for years. Um, Mark Jindrak, they gave him a shot on SmackDown. It didn't work out as much as they thought. He was originally pegged for Batista's spot in Evolution, which uh, some vignettes emerged of that. Uh, nothing really happened from for Rene Dupree besides getting the shit kicked out of him by Hardcore Holly. On the Raw side, they got Nydia, Shelton Benjamin, who made an immediate impact, Rhino, Tajiri, Edge, who obviously had a major impact. Paul Heyman, who immediately quit. Now, <laughs> here's here was the interesting thing at the end of the night, and I thought this was a great way to set the tone of the unpredictability. Uh, Eric Bischoff on screen and Triple H were upset about being sent about Triple H being sent to SmackDown. So what Eric Bischoff did was traded. Booker T, Bubba Ray, Devon, Rico, Jackie Gata for A-Train, Chuck Palumbo, Triple H. I will say today, Jackie Gata is in better shape than any of these people. And that is no way, <laughs> that is in no way a slight 
to any of the people that I mentioned. True. Freak true. of nature. Now, when you see this, you see this. You got Booker T, a former WCW champion. You got Bubba Ray and Yvonne, former ECW champions. Rico and Jackie, whatever. For A-Train, Chuck Palumbo, Triple H. Now, I remember the consensus on the, like, among the, the, the Marky Marks was, oh, man, they just buried a lot of the WCW, ECW talent. They loaded, up, load them, all, loaded them all up and traded them for Triple H. Like he was worth all those. What did you think of that trade? I think that's exactly what they were telling people. Yeah. I mean, uh, that wasn't an accident. That was done with intent. That was just to let me explain to every, to the world that <laughs> Triple H is worth all these other people. And we'll, sure, we'll throw in the A-Train and Palumbo <laughs> so that it don't seem quite that one-sided. Yeah, well, we ain't talking Tensai here. We're not talking great NXT trainer, head coach A-Train here. We're talking like about to be out of the company A-Train. Yeah, they, uh, that's exactly what they were going for. They did that with the intent. I didn't mind the trade thing, but, yeah, that was pretty one-sided the way that came off. Yeah, that one was, it was, uh, it was one of those weird jabs at, at uh, talent and stuff like that that you don't need to do, which I'm not a fan of, you know, but I see the thinking behind it, too. You want to uh, create an aura around this guy that he's that much better than everybody else. And that was you know part of the Triple H character was that he was, you know, one of the best. So uh, keep in mind, know. this was he, one of those guys was Triple H's WrestleMania opponent like the year before. Right. So. The next year, another big draft, and this one's got some big names in it. Going to Raw were John Cena, Kurt Angle, Carlito, Big Show, Rob Van Dam. And that's just that's just one side of things. To SmackDown, Benoit, Orton, Muhammad Hassan, who was over big time at the point at that point, uh, and Kazuro Davari, Christian and Batista. So obviously a lot more big names are switching brands here. How did you feel as, as a talent who you, I think at the time you were teaming with Rosie, how did you feel about all these huge names just back and forth? And obviously some of these names are much bigger now than they were then. Uh, I mean, it, it just made sense. You want to kind of even a playing field a little bit. If, if one show has, you know, just a, a unfair amount of, of the bigger top tier stars, you know, it's not going to take fans too long to figure out what's going on there. You know, fans aren't quite as dumb as our, you know, uh, writers sometimes wish they were. So, uh, yeah, we're just trying to even the playing field a little bit and keep things fresh. Now, they had to one-up the trade from the year before. So this year it was William Regal, Candice Michelle, Sivan Granier, Simon Dean, and Stevie Richards to SmackDown for Chavo Guerrero, Hiroko and Kenzo Suzuki, Danny Basham, Rene Dupree, and Mark Jindrak. <laughs> okay, that's a uh, that's pretty interchangeable. That's a lot more fair than the uh, one from the year before. The best thing to come out of all that is that I don't know. We probably didn't have to see Kenzo Suzuki wrestle anymore after that. because he was the shits. Roko was uh, a nice looking lady though. Now, two thousand six, there wasn't a traditional draft. They had ECW, so. Obviously, that was taking precedence, and they allowed a little bit of an ECW draft. Uh, thoughts on the ECW brand being added to this brand extension? Um, 
there was still some value to the ECW name. So I, I see what they were going for, trying to draw some of those fans in. Uh, being there with the company, though, at, at that time, there was a lot of the WWE fans, they knew some of the ECW guys by name, but they really weren't familiar with their work or anything. So, um, you know, the ECW, uh, the show itself is, you know, been kind of mythologized. Is that right? Yeah, I think I'm something like that. You know, it could be a new word. Um, you know, it's kind of like really put over. When we think about it, it's a lot better than it might actually been, and like you could say that about about a million other things. But and when some of the guys came in, people just didn't really know who they were. Some of them they did, but they knew them more by name than about their actual work. So, um. They weren't familiar with some of the stuff that they would do in the ring and stuff that would normally get us a pop in ECW. Didn't quite get the pops that it got here in the WWE version of ECW. But, uh, I mean, I was very interested in them. Of course, you know, I was one of the ones that watched it, you know. So uh, I personally liked it and thought it was pretty cool. So we saw the the ECW one-night stand thing where they had the big interaction with, with WWF stars or WWE stars and ECW stars. How much of that cynicism and sarcasm and that attitude towards ECW was real, or was it all put on? Of course, you can't speak in generalizations. That's stupid. But how much of that did you experience backstage or, or hear or see? Uh, I mean, there was a lot of it. It was real. A lot of that, uh, how they viewed that product was, you know, and, and the things that they would say on TV, and I couldn't can't pull out an example, but I remember a lot of jabs going toward them, you know, uh, and that came from a place where somebody believed that at some point, you know. Uh, so, yeah, there was a little bit of it. But well, I, mean, I remember it's like a room was always pretty cool. There wasn't like real no, I don't think any really heated animosity as far as yeah. people in the fist fight or anything like that. I remember there was a copy of ECW One Night Stand that I was able to find where you could hear everything like JBL was saying during the matches. And I loved Mike Awesome, Masato Tanaka, because it was just fun, crazy mayhem. But JBL was like, how many finishers does this guy have? And I was like, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah so. But, yeah, you got a third well, brand now. Well, In addition to Raw and SmackDown, you got this third one. Sorry about that. Go ahead. No, I was saying JBL was really proud of WWE. And so anything that wasn't WWE in his eyes was a lesser version. Of what WWE is. Well, so, and at uh, that point, he probably that, should have been. That comes, from, that comes from a place of he really felt that way. So it wasn't really that hard for him to play that as a character because uh, he really believed that. At that point, he had been with the company for a solid decade, and they stuck with him through Justin Hawk Bradshaw and that terrible Blackjack Bradshaw shit. And he emerged and was in a successful tag team. And by that point, he had a main event run. So he sh- probably should have been proud of WWE. Uh, oh, no doubt. So you got this third brand. Do you see this as an opportunity, even for you in the future? I don't think I ever thought about that. I don't think I was like an ECW guy, you know. I mean, you would be eventually. Strangely enough, since I was hardcore champion in WCW and WWF, one of two. But <laughs> hardcore wrestling uh, wasn't my thing. It's not what I, you know, I didn't really care for it too much. So uh, I don't think I ever really even thought about it. What was the feeling or was there any talk or your personal personal outlook when they started they, they quickly started to change that ECW brand? It was obviously not the ECW of old. And 
the the stuff we're always given is well it's on a global scale now it's not on a national scale or a regional scale what did you think um well, the thing, too, a lot of those tricks have been done. You know, a lot of the craziness stuff that you saw in ECW, once you see it a couple of times, it starts to get watered down. And now we actually got to perform in the ring. And that is and has always been a knock against some of the hardcore wrestlers that when it comes to actually having matches, that's where they struggle. And that's why they depended on the hardcore stuff so much. You know, if you're going to do that uh, with some of the guys in, you know, in WWE land, you know, not everybody's a big fan of getting bashed in the head with a chair every night. And they shouldn't be as, uh, you know, medical technology has, uh, has has shown us that's not the healthiest decision that make in your life to get bashed in the head with a chair. So um, it was more uh, of trying to slow to trying to slow that down a little bit so that you have something to build to. You know, if you're dropping nuclear bombs every single week, then there's no global war to build to. So it, it was a little bit of that and um, trying to just make ECW a little fit a little bit more into the WWE universe because the WWE universe is successful. The ECW universe was not. Was there any sense of real competition backstage with the other brands? You'd see it here and there, like in interviews. Yes, yes. 100%. So 100%, yes. And there was a, there was a time to, like, uh, is when I was Gregory Helms and I was on the SmackDown brand, um, and we had we had Undertaker, uh, Booker T, you know, uh, Mr. Kennedy, MVP, myself, Matt Hardy, uh, Chavo, Bray. You know, we just had we had the roster and we were the wrestling show. You can, you might see some of the. Uh, a little bit more of the glitz and glamour on the other one. But if you wanted the good wrestling, it was, it was SmackDown. It was by far the better wrestling show. And when we went overseas, there was this competition on who would outdraw. And so when we outdrew them overseas, we would make sure that they knew, you know, they would send little messages and shit like that. So <laughs> it was definitely a competition. Nothing like uh, nothing heated or hated, but there was definitely competition, How which, often- you know, which pushed people, which was good. How often would you see people from other brands? I mean, obviously co-branded shows, some signings, but. Only only on co-branded pay-per-views. That's the only time we would see them uh, when they were being real strict about uh, enforcing the separation. The only time we would see them would be on those uh, joint pay-per-views. So, uh, and that's when it worked the best to me was when, uh, you know, they kept the separation legit. It made made those joint pay-per-views mean a little bit more. Now they they did that again with this again with this draft this recent draft but they had a real affection for fucking with people Shane they would split up couples in these yeah. and I, I I actually I listened to a Bruce Pritchard podcast where he he I think Conrad asked him why would they do this and Pritchard said to have them maybe emerge from the ah uh, what's the word I'm looking for the Trials and tribulation to see if you can get anything out of them. But, I mean, that's – to fuck with the boys, that's a little weird, right? Well, I think there was only a teeny tiny part of it was to fuck with the boys. You know, if you're a business, you know, you're, the business comes first. And if I'm running this company, uh, my need and use for the talent is going to supersede whatever romantic relationship they're in. That's personal. You know, what show you own, that's business. And so from that standpoint, you know, I really don't give a shit who you're dating. If I need you on SmackDown, that's where your ass is going to go. So I, I, without a doubt, understand that. But I was always also one of those people, you know, 
uh, I had my fun in that locker room, but that was still work, you know, and I always kept it like that, you know. Uh, and I think historically that's been pretty much the way to go. <laughs> I think the uh, the stats kind of lean toward my point of view as far as that being a smart move. Uh, I don't think they did and went out there to go, hey, let's fuck with so-and-so. But if it happened to fuck with so-and-so, I don't think they were too worried about it. And, well, they, might, and they might enjoy it. I mean, they're not – I mean, it's not like this big Bilderberg cult group that gets together and goes, let's fuck with the boys. Well, you know, hey, you know, really speaking of Pritchard's podcast, if you have you ever heard the Vader show where he talks about how they had the, the drink spilled all over Vader, let's make him yeah. sit in that shit all night. Yeah. You yeah. never know. I mean, that's kind of a rib, though. That's not fucking with your sure. life. Sure. Well, yeah. Vader might take it that way. Um, this year, they, they, but they did win any fights. What is that? But does he actually ever win any fights? So That's true. It's a good point. I don't think they were too afraid of it. This, on last year's WWE draft, they, they split up uh, Emma and Zack Ryder, Paige and Alberto Del Rio. They didn't take that well. Uh, Alexa Bliss got called up while her boyfriend stayed in NXT. Not much you can do about that. If you're not ready, you're not ready. Uh, Carmella and Big Cass got split up. Um, and I feel like one other. Uh, John Cena and Nikki Bella didn't. If you're surprised by that, I'm not. And uh, a couple other ones, like Miz and Marie stayed together, Naomi and the Usos. Well, you think that mentality is still around? Like, let's see if they can emerge without their significant other, maybe overcome? I mean, well, honestly, hearing you say they did it to so many people, it does make one wonder, you know? <laughs> I mean, let's just split them up for the hell of it. But I would hope that it, it wasn't about that, you know I mean? And nobody in that office should be playing Dr. Phil, you know, trying to, you know, whatever, mess with anybody's relationship. So uh, my hope would be that that's just how it happened. Some of them, some of the couple stayed together. Some of them got split. And, you know, I mean, deal with it. You know, personal is personal, but business is business. Imagine being Zach Ryder. You get over big time. How would I do that? <laughs> exactly. So no, he gets I himself over. I love Zach Ryder. He gets himself over to an extreme degree. And I mean, he gets himself over to an extreme mm-hmm. degree. And then they cancel his internet show. They're like, you can't do it anymore. But they put the U.S. title on him. And they're like, well, we'll put the U.S. title on you. We'll give you a girlfriend on TV, but we'll have Cena make out with her. And by the way, you don't know how to change a car tire. So that, that's, that's the deal, too. Hey, we're going to just have you do nothing for a few years. We're going to team with Mojo Raleigh. That's a fun thing to do. Hey, you're going to win at WrestleMania, which nobody can take that away from him. You're going to lose it the next night. Hey, you got this smoking hot girlfriend, one of the hottest women in the WWE. Yeah, she's on a different brand. That poor guy. That Has poor she came guy. back yet? Hell uh, no. Hell no. They, still- they didn't even do the, the vignette on Raw. It's been This would have been the 18th week. <laughs> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Damn. I'm not. That's not hyperbole. That's a real number. 18 weeks. I think at this point, the only two that it went on longer, Glacier and Berlin. 
Do you remember? Uh, Alex Wright. I didn't even know they were a couple. Uh, who? Uh, Zach Ryder and Emma? Glacier in Berlin, you dumb mother. They might be. You got to stick with my jokes, man. I got it. I just wasn't sure. That's a bad joke. Bad joke. None of my jokes are bad. They're all good. 2007 draft. Definitely not as star-studded as that 05 one. And I'm not even going to run through the list of people that, that switched. But there was a supplemental draft. Uh, all in all. Was this I was out? Was I out for this one with my neck surgery? I believe so. Either that or 08. I remember tweeting, not tweeting, texting Undertaker during this one because SmackDown was getting fucked mm-hmm. in the draft. <laughs> and I remember, and he had... Uh, and this is how, if this is the one I'm talking about, I'm thinking of, he was in Vince McMahon's office showing him my text. And that's how the her pop-up character ever came to be just by how, because I was just popping them with my text, popping them with my text. <laughs> that hurricane's a funny bastard. That sort of shit. And that's how that whole hurricane pop-up thing came to be. So, uh, do you happen to remember anybody that, that switched in that so I can verify that this was the the year? It was like, I think, like uh, SmackDown lost Ric Flair and we got Great Khali or some shit like that. Or like we got Toy Wilson for Ric Flair. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? You know? I, yeah. I can't remember. But it was something along those lines, you know? Yeah, Ric Flair got drafted uh, to SmackDown. And SmackDown ended Okay, we, we got Flair. Yeah. And okay, that must have been at the end. What well, was you, the, how, how did it go begin? You lost King Booker, who was getting over big time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you lost Bobby Lashley, who had been with ECW, and they had kind of been doing the the interpromotional stuff there. You lost Mister Kennedy. Mm-hmm. You lost London and Kendrick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh gosh, who else? Davari. Who, who were our top tag team at the time? Yes, that's that's true. They had a, a almost a record-setting run. You lost a lot of people. There there weren't any major, major, major names on here. Lashley, Flair, Booker, uh, Benoit. Benoit went from SmackDown to ECW, but there was there was a loose affiliation there. Yeah, I remember Flair was one that it, there was something with him, and I, I thought it was I thought we lost him too, but I guess we got him. Uh, there was some because I knew there were a couple of names toward the end. Where I go, okay, at least they're throwing us a bone. But I, I remember SmackDown getting really screwed over in that, that particular draft. So not a lot happening there. Now, the year before, I kind of skipped over this. We talked about this before, but you went to SmackDown. You told me before, you found out the day that you won the title, the day of the Royal Rumble, you show up, you're told in you went in the title, in a suit, because you always, people, wrestlers get suits when they win titles. It comes with the title. Your feelings on being sent to SmackDown? That didn't. It didn't bother me. I never really had a. a I'd problem say not. You're about to win the damn cruiserweight title. Yeah, I mean, I just. Uh, I remember being on SmackDown, and when I got, I got brought to Raw to be a Kane's tag team partner. Like, uh, I so I had already, you know, I had been through that once before, and it just, it's just a matter of finding a new riding partner. You know, to me, it still worked. You know, I mean. I'm a, there's going to be a couple of my buddies I can't hang around, but you know, I mean, the whole, you know, the whole locker room likes me, man. Shit, you know, um, I, I just, uh, strangely enough, I was one of those people that never had problems with too much, too much of anything. So, um, I was fine with it, you know, especially uh, the talk that you know 
we're going to give this division one more one more run, and we want you to be the guy to carry it. And, I mean, it wasn't going to be no long-term thing. It was never set out for me to hope break the record or anything like that. It just happened because I was fucking amazing. That's pretty much how that happened. Pretty sure they didn't tell you that was the reason. Um, at any point – They had they had no choice, kid. They had no choice. But you look at that roster and you'll see why. We'll talk about – We'll talk about um, like these drafts. They they made some changes. They started to do matches to determine picks. At any point, were the boys like smartened up to brand switches? Because it didn't seem like it. But I mean, you know, maybe maybe some were in some circumstances. I'm like they're not going to switch Triple H, a guy like Triple H, and not tell him beforehand, right? Yeah, that one percent, that top tier one percent, probably was clued in and probably had a voice. You know, Undertaker. Uh, was a SmackDown guy pretty much the entire time, so uh, I think that was his 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 decision, his choice to, to want to stay there. So um, that one percent was probably in on it. When you the rest of the ninety nine percent can do what the fuck they're told. So they didn't do an Occupy WWE draft movement movement. No, no, we didn't get none of that. What changed for you when you went to SmackDown? Like, do you have to like how how did did travel change anything of that nature? Uh, just as I said earlier, I mean, you, uh, with SmackDown, you would leave a day later, but you would come home a day later. So um, that was it. And just finding somebody new to ride with, which wasn't hard for me. Did you prefer a brand once you were on SmackDown? Did, were you like, damn, this is a lot better than Raw? You, you spoke about the politics on Raw. Yeah, yeah. I prefer SmackDown. Um, the strength of Raw for me was with a writer who really understood my character as far as the hurricane and Brian Gerwitz, you know, uh, really understanding what that character was. Um, I thought it was SmackDown, you know, I was Gregory. Huh? Whatever. What did I say? <laughs> it's Gerwitz. Gerwitz. These things. Um, so, uh, but a SmackDown with the Gregory Helms thing, you know, it's, it's not as much character. It's, it's just, you know, kick-ass wrestler type thing. So, uh, and Michael Hayes, you know, really understood that part. So, um I uh I I didn't have no problems, but SmackDown, my overall enjoyment was always more on the SmackDown side. In two thousand eight, we returned to uh, some more big names being switched: Rey Mysterio to Raw, Jeff Hardy to SmackDown, CM Punk to Raw, Matt Hardy to ECW, Jim Ross, as we mentioned, that infamous uh, spot where he and Michael Cole switched brands, Batista to Raw, Triple H to SmackDown. Kane to Raw, Mr. Kennedy to SmackDown, Umaga to SmackDown. And then even in the supplemental draft, you get people who would go on to be uh, interesting names like Mark Henry. Uh, Shelton Benjamin was always a good hand, of course. So they're starting to do a good this. Hand. A, good, a good hand. A good hand. I love Shelton Benjamin. A thing to say. I, hey, Shelton Benjamin is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time to watch. Yeah, JR can call somebody a good hand. Fucking Sean Sapp doesn't call Shelton Benjamin a good hand. My name is Sean Ross Sapp. No, it ain't. It's just fucking Sapp. Because I looked up your family tree and you would have fucking Sapp. What the fuck's that supposed to mean? I'm the glue of my family. I, I keep everybody together because they love me. Is that what that's supposed to mean? Good job. Thanks, Shane. Sure. I, I appreciate sure. the compliment. See, you're, you're a good see, friend. You're a I good told friend. you, buddy. And you, you know what? I'll say this. You're a great hand for Fightful.com. I imagine I am. You are. You are. It was not a backhanded thing to say. Shelton Benjamin, I thought, could have been – I thought he could have been more than – But one it's one of those know-your-role things to say. 
I, I, I agree. I should have said that a little bit better. But I thought he could have always been more than what like – like every time he was in there with the top-level talent, it was unbelievable. The matches were incredible. I like the Shawn Michaels stuff, Triple H. I remember on SmackDown, he had like like a television run. Like I don't know if it, his thing was just to have a television program with The Undertaker and not on the pay-per-views, but they tore the house down. They had some awesome matches. And Shelton always delivered in the ring. That in, in ring was never his problem. He he's got a very weird delivery in his promo. Mm-hmm. But Shelton talk Shelton has a very unique way he talks in real life. Yeah. And so uh in this in this more of that, he's got a very just unique cadence to to the way he sounds and you know um and it just doing promos when it sounds weird. It it isn't that it sounds weird, it sounds like Shelton. That's that's how he talks. But uh, to some of the higher ups, you know, they really didn't get that, and uh, that's how they kind of looked at it. But um, in the ring, it was never a problem. That dude was good. You know, he's, he's one of the best. Did some of the most amazing physical feats I've ever seen. Like if you you can find dark matches that he and Brock Lesnar did, where yeah. one where one will do a four fifty, and then the other one will do a shooting star press, and you look and you go, "How in the fuck did they do that? It was just unbelievable." Um, here's something that you'll hate about Shelton Benjamin. Hardly ever works out. Yeah, I remember reading that in an interview. He said it was all just like that. Oh, I hate him. You know, that's one of the reasons, like, I love him as a friend. (laughs) But uh, as far as being a a, a gym person, hate him. Hate his guts. Just wakes up, great shape, don't do shit, pisses me off. One of my favorite all-time vignettes on Raw was the one with him, Vince McMahon, and Trish Stratus. Remember that where she had the face mask, the are you ready for some wrestling? Uh, it was after – it was uh, it was a spoof of the Terrell Owens one with the – I don't know if it was Desperate Housewives or whatever, but it was right after like there was that NBA brawl in the stands where the basketball players went in the stands and started to beat the crap out of people. Yeah. And Vince, Vince McMahon was like taking little shots at the NFL and the NBA. And uh, <laughs> like Vince McMahon was like – Shelton, you may not realize this, but you're an African-American. And everybody knows <laughs> that African-American men love Canadian white women with broken noses. And it was like one of the best vignettes I ever saw. And like wow. Shelton really, he really shined in that. And it was entertaining stuff. And I saw that and I was like, okay, maybe they will push Shelton Benjamin there, but I don't remember that at all. If I saw it, I probably permanently de- deleted it from my mind. Oh, man. I'm going to send you <laughs> Just that. Just from how it sounds right now. <laughs> it's it's re- like I'll send you the Terrell Owens one, then I'll send you the Shelton one. Uh, it, was, it was good because I remember in the media, a lot of people were taking shots at WWE comparing the, the NBA brawl to WWE. And then I think this was Vince's way of being like, yeah, we'll show you. And he, I thought he did great, but uh, – yeah, I hope Shelton still gets his WWE run because they were bringing him back last year. I really hope that yeah. he still gets that. Because he is more than just a good hand. I apologize. Um, yeah, that, that's about it for the 2008 draft. Now, <laughs> the 2000- that was another one that was kind of one-sided, right? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, there were some big names that switched too. But Raw gets Rey Mysterio, CM Punk, uh, Batista. But SmackDown does get Triple H, Jeff Hardy, Jim Ross. Triple H, didn't stay, there, Triple H didn't stay there too long, did he? I don't think so. I feel like he didn't. 
And uh, Umaga wasn't around long after that either, but he would have been a good one to have. Mm-hmm. 2009, Shane. Let me see. What do we got here? What, what year was it you were drafted? 2009, I think, or 2010. Either way, you, it was 2009. So 119 draft picks over the years. I counted. And you went untouched. You didn't have to change a lot. You you changed when you won the Intercontinental title. But with one selection left to go in the draft, you were sent to ECW. Damn. How'd you feel? Uh, I knew that I understood the business decision behind it, but uh, I didn't want to be on the ECW show. But I understand with the uh, the Sci-Fi Network, the Hurricane was the closest uh, character they had to a, um, you know, sci-fi character, I guess. So that was the whole reason behind putting me on um, ECW. I wanted to, uh, I've been talking to them about bringing back the uh, the Hurricane character, but more of an an updated version of it where it wasn't just all the hokiness as before. Yeah, uh, maybe even without, maybe even without the mask, just let me bring back the uh, the costume and let me bring back the logo and, and, and let's see what we go, how we go from there. Um, and and I actually did that at WrestleMania Access without permission. You know, uh, it was me and Zach. Uh, no, it was me and Jimmy. Jimmy Yang against Zach Ryder and Kurt Hawkins on a uh, WrestleMania Access match. And I, I just I put the costume on and I had the trench coat that I was wearing. And when I came out and I, you know, bust open the the trench coat Clark Kent style, banana as Pat Patterson would say, and uh. And I remember one of the production guys saying, saying that was the biggest pop of the entire WrestleMania access. And it was just more of, you know, a nostalgia type thing, you know, uh, a character that the fans had really liked at one time coming back for the, for the first time in a long time. So, um, and with that, and that's what I wanted to do. But then with, you know, with the ECW on sci-fi, wanting that sci-fi type character, um, you know, they, they wanted me to go back the full way with the mask and everything. Um, and so, so I did that, and I understood the business behind it, but I was never too thrilled to be on that ECW show. The stuff with Paul Burchill I loved, you know, and I can't say good, that. That's a good angle. It was a really good angle. Really, you know, I had really good matches with Paul. And some of the um, the promos they did with me, the uh, the video packages they did, they, they were probably the best of my run up there, you know, the ones they did on the ECW show. But just the feel of that show, when I would watch it back, there were a lot of – there was some talent on that show that – to me, just wasn't ready to be anywhere near a fucking television camera. And, you know, we're a team out there. You know, if you you on that show, that's your team, and you got to be proud of your team. And it was frustrating some of the stuff that I saw go out on the show. Paul Burchill, I thought, was ahead of his time. Like if – Yeah, he, he was a good hand. Just, <laughs> if, it were, if he were here, if he were around, like, mm-hmm. today – like the PWGs and the Evolves, they would be they would love to get their hands on him, and then I think he would become a big commodity elsewhere. He he had such a great agility for his size, like that a lot of people even didn't even necessarily get to see in WWE. But right, I remember seeing one of the worst card one of the worst card players of all time. Really, Jen on a flight from uh, to England one time, and he was absolutely abysmal. 
like his cards, he would hold them up and some of them would be facing me. <laughs> I was like, this can't be real. He can't, and they would keep falling out of his hands. He didn't know how to fan cards and hold them. They would be falling out. And I'm like, are you serious? Is, I've never seen a human being have this problem with cards. And I half thought he was ribbing me. And so to this day, maybe he was. I was like, nobody could be that bad. But, we're, you know, uh, well, I carry on a rib for four hours. <laughs> I don't know why he would do that. But uh, but a great guy. I like, I like Paul a lot. We almost actually missed that flight because we were eating. And we didn't hear the announcement for the flight to take off. And we were over there just fucking off. And we had we were like the ECW addition to this Raw tour. So we were like the only guys from ECW going to be on there. And uh, we fucking almost missed it. So when you're drafted, do you have a talk with anybody? No. So nobody is like, this is why you're switched. No, no, no. With the ECW one, that was the only one that I ever had to talk with. And that was to explain the, the, the sci-fi thing. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I had had talks creatively with um, – with certain people about what I wanted to do with that character and all that stuff I just told you earlier. And and they were seemingly on board with that. But then when the ECW thing came on and they decided to go in a different direction and, and as a talent, sometimes you just got to go with what they want, you know, um, and you can you present your case, you can plead your case, but at the end of the day, if the boss wants a certain thing, then, then that's what you're going to have to do. And, you know, you hear some of the stories about some of the guys that they go and they stand their ground and it works out. And those stories, you know, they gain a lot of steam over the years as being really bigger than they really were because 99.9% out of, out of the time, you're going to do what the hell Vince tells you to do. So so who, who's the person that you, you talk to about the sci-fi thing or that gives you the reasoning about why you're drafted to ECW? That was Johnny and Vince. And uh, did that ease your mind I mean, it, it made sense, you know. It, I mean, if you come at me with something that makes sense, you know, I'm fine with that, you know. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm not a person that if you tell me something that, you know, if, if you prove me wrong, I'm not one of those people that gets upset when I'm wrong because I can learn something from it. And so I, at first I felt it was the wrong move, but then when they explained it, I saw the business sense behind it, so I had to just accept that because it, it made perfect sense, and I understood the reasoning behind it, so I just went along with it. Were there any immediate plans for you that you were that you were notified of? Yeah, right away. I mean, the whole thing went out the way we we're going to do. I was going to do the backstage reporter thing, do it for a little while. But I ended up being better at it than they anticipated. And so they kind of drug it out. Um, so, uh, yeah, but that that all went the way according to plan. I was going to be a you know backstage thing, slowly evolve into the uh, until it's time for the green man to come out. You had to exceed that Mike Adamley benchmark. That had, that, and that, that was a tough. That bar was pretty high. <laughs> yeah. You know, so uh, I had to work diligently to overcome that one. But I remember uh, you did bring back the, the Hurricane character. As you said, it was looked different, looked a little darker. It wasn't mm-hmm. – you, you didn't have to paint your hair green. I'm sure you were happy about that. Yeah. I mean, that, that, was, that was all by intent. You know, I wanted – when I – as I've talked to you before on this podcast before to make the hurricane character work, I had to wrestle down, you know, I couldn't be out there doing the vertebraker and doing all these really great matches because for some reason that created a disconnect with the character and what people wanted from that character. If I'm the comic relief or if I'm doing comedy spots, like sometimes it was really difficult for fans to accept that I'm also this really good wrestler because then they would go, well, if he's that good of a wrestler, why is he doing that weird shit? 
you know, that would create that question there. So, you know, uh, I turned heel Gregory Helms and now I'm reminding people, not just the fans, but I, it reminded the office, you know, because I distinctly, and I don't know if I told you this, I remember Arn Anderson coming and going, God damn, kid, I forgot how good you were. <laughs> and I remember going, yeah, what? You know, like, what? How the hell did you forget that? I mean, the hurricane was at work. What do you, what do you mean you forgot how good I was? The hurricane was actually harder to pull off than uh, Gregory. Yeah. Even though wrestling, I was wrestling down, it was harder to make successful than Gregory Helms. We And so what I wanted to do was combine those, have the character and, and the marketability of the hurricane but wrestle like Gregory Helms. And the only way to do that was to kind of take away the superhero thing of it. Let me be a man in a mask. Let me be Rey Mysterio. Let me be Kane. Stop calling me a superhero. Call me the hurricane and and let's go with that. That was what what I wanted to do. But um, as I said, with the sci-fi thing, they wanted to do the superhero thing again. So that's what we did. How was it on live events? Did you have to change it up for live events? Because I know sometimes that's a different crowd. You got a lot more kids in the crowd than, than maybe a television show. Uh, some There are some people that wrestle a different style on the house shows. Where Did you keep it pretty much how it was on TV? Uh, how, did, how did that work out? I mean, I worked just as hard. I probably the dives to the outside would have been a little bit more safer um, on house shows and stuff like that. And you, you know, you don't go out there and try to knock each other's teeth out on the house show too much. So, other than that, my style was, you know, I was I was pretty much the same. You know, I, I wrestled hard no matter what. We hear about ring rust. Did you have any, like, character rust getting back into that? Now, this was a little, as you just said, a little bit different than the one that you did before. No, I had ring rust. I never had character <laughs> rust. The character was, you know, that was all me. So that was, you know, pretty much the second nature for me. Uh, I did have some ring rust when I came back as you know, Greg, as Hurricane Helms without the mask, the long hair, the MMA shorts, and stuff like that. Um, but I got over that pretty quickly. And but no, character character rust, no, not none at all. You were released in I think 2010. That's a different story for a different day. Maybe, maybe a, a, an entire show. Maybe. Uh, now we kind of addre- we addressed that last week in the, the fight backstage one. Yeah, a little that's, bit. That's, that's all there is to that story. There wasn't a, there's nothing more to it. I wish there was an epic story there, but there really isn't. It's, my time there was make done. Make some and, shit up, Shane. Just make some shit up. I'll, I'll, I'll come up with some shit. I'll make it better. Uh, now, looking back at the, at the brand split. Now, by the time you're gone, there's like so much crossover. Was there ever a sense of why are they still doing this? Yeah, yeah. Anytime they would do that crossover stuff, and they would only do it with certain guys, it was just like, I mean, why are they doing this? I always felt, and I still feel, that there's a pay per view that they should do every year, and it's legit Raw versus SmackDown, like Super Bowl style, you know. And I mean, they own the Clash of the Champions name, so that's a perfect name for it, you know. Outside of WrestleMania and outside of the Rumble, whatever, every year I have this Super Bowl card where it's the National League against the American League. You know, it's just what the Super Bowl is. And do it, you know, uh, WWE champion against Universal champion, whatever they got now, that's still what, what, what I feel they should do and make it mean something. And fans was fans would go to look forward to that because you want to see, you know, I mean, but the thing is, the, the downside is that one team's going to lose. But that's okay. You can tell stories about that. Stories where, you know, say say if if, if SmackDown loses the the Clash of the Champions uh, show, um, 
that there's people cussing out the champions and, you know, you let us down. There's so much that you could do with that and, and just go forward with it and, and stick with it. Like, I still think there's money to be made. There. I still think that's a great idea. What did you think about WWE bringing back the brand split in 2016? I mean, it's good. I, I like it. I think it's, I think SmackDown just as it was back in the past is a better show. Uh, and so, I mean, it's a good idea. Is is not as successful as their best brand split is NXT mm-hmm. because it's still WWE company, but it's a different brand. No matter what people say that they try to act like NXT isn't WWE, the check says WWE. That that's that's what it is. But um, stick with it. Stick with that brand separation, you know, and create that interest in the champion versus champion. Create that Super Bowl moment. You know, they got to stick with it. So I'm I'm a fan of you get to see more guys. So, so that's always that's always good. This is almost a product of NXT's success, this brand split, because they've had so many people, or maybe a product of them signing the right people, because well, several of those people were developed by WWE, like Carmella was, Alexa Bliss was, Charlotte was, Big Cass and Enzo were. So uh, I'm not of that opinion that, that that some people have that the performance center hasn't produced anybody because this produced some very entertaining characters. But they've also signed guys like Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens who were established to a, a pretty good degree before. So, yeah, I think I think it was the right time. Unfortunately, we're seeing some injuries take their toll. But uh, that SmackDown show is fun to watch every week for me, and that's not always the case. Yeah, like, Smack- I, I Go ahead. SmackDown is my second favorite show of the week. You know, obviously I'm partial to, to what TNA sure. does. But then I think SmackDown's number two. Uh then I watch uh, New Japan, uh, Ring of Honor, and and Rawls actually comes in at number five. Oh yeah, as far as the ones without I enjoy. A, without a doubt, Raw is the least digestible show that that I watch each week. TNA and uh, and SmackDown are much easier. New Japan, it's kind of down there because I've usually I've, I've seen most of this stuff because they're getting to the point to where I had started to cover that elsewhere. But like I watch a two hour show and. Whether I whether I'm DVRing the first thirty minutes, I get home late. I can catch up and watch a whole show in an hour and a half, and it's like, yeah. Uh, yeah New Japan, the, the, the knock against New Japan for me is you don't go through any emotions on, on the show. You know, uh, there's no emotional journey as far as some things that will make you sad. Some things, you know, you should be horrified over. Some things you get some good comedy out of. You don't get that on that because it's strictly a wrestling show. But I'm a wrestling fan, so that's why I like it. But you know, just putting it all out there. That, that's the one thing I don't get out of that show was, you know, SmackDown and TNA really, I think, take you on that journey. So, and uh, Raw takes me on another another journey. It normally ends up with me <laughs> asleep. And then I wake up through some weird shit, weird commercial screaming at me. But they got better commercials. About, about, about how it's, that. is it about how this is his hair and he can do with it what he wants? Is that the journey? That dumbass Bosley commercial? Possibly. That fucking commercial sucks so that, bad. Before before people attack me for it, the the, the commercials during TNA, uh, there's some weird ones on there too. That's there's true. some there's some poop commercial about making your shit smell good that some girls doing, and it is fucking terrifying. <laughs> Every time it comes on, I'm just smothering myself with a pillow, going, "What the hell is this?" We can here's, here's, here's where I get a text: "Don't don't insult our commercials." Uh, hey, we considered buying ad time on TNA once. Still may do that. You never know. Um, 
What do you think the legacy of that that brand extension, the original one, will be? That uh, that that is a good idea. Obviously, if it's still going on, even though it took a break, obviously an idea that lasts that long must be must be pretty good. But it was the uh, you know extension of the WCW buyout and the ECW. You know, uh, Vince win wins the he won the big wars, and so he had to create his own competition, and that that's the legacy of it. Um, I imagine if. If there was ever a team, if he ever actually did buy TNA, which, you know, was rumored uh, not too long ago, they would be a part of the brand extension as well. So um, it, it's cool to have that from their standpoint, that big of a controlling interest in the entire industry that you can create your own, you know, your own show like that. So uh, I like it. It gave a lot of people opportunities that they might not otherwise have gotten. And we got stars out of it that we might not otherwise have gotten. And we got to see some people that struck out, you know, and some, and that just fucking happens. Sometimes it happens in every industry, every entertainment industry in the world. So uh, we saw some winners, we saw some losers, but you know, it's been cool to see either way. You think there were some people that struck out that if they were on that other brand, they could have excelled. I don't know if that's the reason. I think the people that struck out just struck out because, you know, of, of other factors, but there were some people that struck out in WWE and they went on to become bigger stars elsewhere. You know, yeah. Mark Jindrak is huge in Mexico. He's a soap I'm not opera star. About just physically, he's he's a huge star there. You know, and uh, and I stay in contact with him. He was, you know, he's a should be, you know, a star in in, in the U.S. right now. But uh, he loves Mexico. He's uh, he's doing well there. So I can't I can't slight him for sticking with what's working for him. Yeah, he's big soap opera star down there too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does soap operas, other all kinds of stuff. Him, big star. Yeah. So, uh, we, if you all want any other questions answered about the the brand extension at the beginning of next week's show, we'll do that. As always, send in your ideas for topics at shanehelmscom or at Sean Rossap. Of course, the easiest way is to register on Fightful.com. Use our forums. Go to the open discussion area. And just submit your topics. I'll have a thread there. Anything you'll want to talk about that we can talk about at length. Uh, I know the one about being an agent will be coming up soon. I know uh, running a show will be coming up soon. Been getting a lot of requests about those. We're going to cover the invasion angle soon. Uh, Lots of cool stuff. As always, check out TNA Impact every Thursday night on Pop TV. You're devious, Shane. Why's that? You know why. I don't know what he's talking about, man. I'm innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, you'll be proven guilty on Pop TV pretty soon. Hey, you're man, disgusting. sometimes, you're sometimes you got to drop the gorilla on people. You're disgusting. What's that supposed to mean? Is that a shot at me because I'm from Cincinnati and they shot Harambe? No, it wasn't actually. It's a, uh, if you want to hear a Nathan Jones story real quick before we oh, pop of off. Of course. The, uh, there was, Surprised uh, he was around long enough for there to be any, but go ahead. He was uh, – he was telling he was telling somebody a, a story about what he wanted to do. He goes, "Yeah, and I take this gorilla right here and I smash him. And then I take this fucking gorilla right here and I smash him." And it was just one of those things that tickled the shit out of me, and I never forgot it. So, if you've been watching TNA and you see how I I'm known to attack from behind and I hit him with this gorilla right here, that's what I'm talking about. That was that's a little homage to uh, Nathan Jones. He ended up being into movies too. It's pretty successful. He's a big, scary, terrifying looking human being. He is. Anything you want to tell the people before we go? 
Uh, I think you covered it, man. TNA, uh, Thursday nights, 8 p.m. on the Pop channel. Uh, other than that, at Shane Helms Com, cross platform, um, Twitter, Instagram, everything. That's where, that's where I'll be. That's where you can find me. Guys, I want to thank you all so much for the support. Last week's show was our most downloaded audio show that we've ever had. If you are listening on audio and you want to see these beautiful faces, or at least one beautiful face right here, we're on YouTube as well, youtube.com slash Fightful. Of course, you can get all that stuff at Fightful.com, wrestling, MMA, boxing coverage, forums, videos, photos. Uh, But you can subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, and Stitcher. We also have a direct download. So I was very pleased, Shane, to see... The, that uh, that show took off because I gotta do a little work for these. I can't just watch a show. I gotta go back and research it. Yeah, man, that's uh, that's good. You do it. You you know, I've done so much that uh, it's hard to to keep it all in context and remember it and keep keep it in order. Like I did what? I did when? You know, <laughs> I get that shit all the time. So uh, so yeah, you do a lot of research. So hats off you to that. You know, I can't give answers if without you giving some good questions. So. Hey, I'm a good hand. Good, what can I say? You're a good hand, kid. You're a good hand. Subscribe to us. We got the Matt Riddle Show. Early access members only. He suplexed a man through a bunch of chairs the other day. Uh, maybe we'll talk about stuff like that in Shane, in Shane Helms' agent podcast. Until next time, guys, we're out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.